Amen. Week four, the way of waiting. Well, just a little bit of a summary from last week. Very simply, God has given Daniel the dream and the interpretation of the dream of a man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And when he got the dream and the interpretation of the dream, him and the rest of the royal council, their life were spared. And he didn't try to take any credit for himself, but he gave God all credit, all glory. And the king actually recognized the greatness of Daniel's God in that. So in that, the king decided to appoint Daniel as a ruler over Babylon, the chief of the royal council. And then at Daniel's request, there were three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were also brought up to be in charge of all of the Babylonian affairs while Daniel remained in the king's court. Now, what the dream consisted of is that there was a large statue with the head made of gold, and from head to toe it was different metals. It started out with gold, then it was uh, silver and bronze and iron and iron and clay mixed together. And, and basically, the interpretation was that God said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the gold, you're the head. I gave you the power and authority and the strength to lead, but your kingdom will not last. And from top to bottom, as the metals uh, declined in strength, it was a prophetic word, a prophetic dream, talking about the many governments that would eventually fall, especially when it gets to the point where any foundation not built on God would crumble. So the statue crumbled and God said there will be a kingdom that will not be uh, shaken, that will not be conquered, and it's no other than the kingdom of God. Can someone say amen to that? So basically, the dream was this, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is not going to last. I heard a message once about Boaz and Ruth. Y'all know about Boaz? Well, and, uh, there's a lot of, you know, funny stories about Boaz, you know, the name. I'll, I'll let you, you know, talk about that amongst yourselves. But in the story, they, they left, um, I believe it was Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to a different town. And when they went to the town, a lot, uh, some people started dying. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? Well, if you don't know, that's what happened. What's interesting about that is what the words Bethlehem and Judah mean. Bethlehem means bread or word. Judah means praise. So when the people left the word and they left the praise, they started to die off. And what happens in anything we build, if we do not lean into the word of God and giving him glory in all things, it leads nothing but to it leads to nothing but death and destruction. You can try to live outside of the word of God all you want, but it simply will not work. And what happens here is that King Nebuchadnezzar got a word saying, your kingdom and your government will not stand because it is existing in you and nothing else. The only thing that will stand is my kingdom. And that's a word for today. The, 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 the kingdom of the United States of America is not going to stand. The kingdom of God will. There's a fine line between being uh, proud to live in the United States and then putting in the United States as your idol. The fact of the matter is the best government is a kingdom government, not a democratic. The problem is, is that people who lead kingdoms are mostly corrupt. And they use it to lord over people. But God says, I am a king in the everlasting kingdom, and when I say something, when I give you a word, I expect you to do my word, and if you do, then I will do for you. We forget that the marriage between the church and God is a covenant. 
Covenant meaning God says, if you, then I. That's the great thing about God. He doesn't just bless uh, the, 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 just to bless. He does that, but there's another side of it. If you do the things I've given you to do, there will be great reward for you. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't like the idea that his kingdom wasn't going to last outside of himself. He was filled with pride, so he does something contrary to leaning into what God wants. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it starts off saying this, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now remember, the statue in the dream went from gold to iron and clay, representing a decrease in durability, strength, power. But Nebuchadnezzar focused on one thing. His headship, his reign, and his authority symbolized by the gold head of the statue. He didn't like the idea of his headship crumbling, so he says, instead of leaning into what this dream was given to me for, I'm going to build my own statue, and the whole thing is going to be gold. In other words, he built something that contradicted God, God's declared plan. He acted in a way to declare that God would not have his way. And a lot of times we'll act in ways contrary to what God has said, and we don't realize how serious it is. We love to talk about pro-life, but let's talk about pro-speak life. Because Christians who are all about pro-life are the same ones that say, well, I'm getting old and I just can't. How dare you? The same ones who talk about don't kill babies are killing your destiny because you don't know how to speak into it. Or we rebel in ways we don't even realize and make compromises. You know, we, 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 we rebel against the principle of, tithe, of the tithe and offering. We rebel against the principles of praying over our enemies. We rebel against all these things, and we wonder why life ain't working out. Well, 1 Samuel 15, 23 says this, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. So the next time you want to point out someone being a witch, let's point out your rebellion because they're the same. So we love to point out the obvious stuff, right? Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Let me say that again. You being stubborn is just as bad as King Nebuchadnezzar building a gold statue to worship himself. Your stubbornness is as bad as a witch leaning into the power of crystals and mysticism. I'm getting a lot of this. Because you stubborn. <laughs> so, so because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He should have paid attention to the principle of the dream. God said, Nebuchadnezzar, I gave you authority, strength, but you're building kingdoms, not of me, and I will reign. He should not have rejected God's plan. He should have submitted to the plan. Instead, he, he acted in direct opposition called rebellion. I wonder how many times we rebel against a word instead of embracing a word. One of the greatest traps in the church is offense. And we, we, 
isn't it funny how we pray to God, help me, help me, help me, but when someone comes to you with a word, you get offended at the help he just sent? Well, how dare you call me out? You prayed for help. And we're laughing because you know it's true. Right? God, God says, your way is always going to crumble. My way is going to reign forever. I am trying to give you a word to help shift you. And instead of embracing the word that sometimes cuts like a knife, we find a reason as to why the word's not legitimate. And then you keep praying for help and wonder why help ain't coming because help already did. And your rebellion to that word is as bad as witchcraft. We love to mix up faith with ignorance because we want to test God's provision rather than having faith in God's provision. Well, what do you mean, Kyle, testing God's provision versus having faith in God's provision? What's the difference? I'm glad you asked. I'll talk about it. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. The devil took him, who is him? Jesus to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. He orders angels to protect you for his purpose. So don't test the promise by prostituting protection for your own will. Okay. Don't test the promise by prostituting protection for your own will because his protection over you is for his will that he predestined you for. And he says, anything I ask of you, I will protect you on the journey. But don't think that God's going to keep his hand on you if you operate in rebellion likened to witchcraft. Because God don't want to have anything to do with it. And what we love to do is talk about, well, God will protect me, so I'm just going to keep going. But if you keep going in the way that God says won't work, he's not going to make it work. The king could have leaned into the dream. After all, there was a reason God gave it to him. Instead, he responded with rebellion, leaning into himself. We cannot be a people that lean into ourselves and say, well, God's going to protect me. That, that, that is the wrong kind of message that grace is all about. Grace makes a way for you to, to walk into your right standing. Grace does not make a way for you to live flippantly and say, God still saved me. That is in itself being stubborn. Because you simply don't want to die to anything else. He's still trying to get you to die to a one-time-a-week meeting over your recreation. Okay. Verse 2. Then, for those of you that are newer here, I'm gonna, I, I step on toes all night in the name of Jesus. Verse 2, 
Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. See, what he was doing, he was testing the nation's allegiance. He was using a golden statue to see who would worship him and who would worship his leadership. The crazy thing is they should have known not to do this. Because everyone back then knew a little bit of the history of the nations. And this had actually happened before and didn't work out. I'll read a verse to remind you what I'm talking about in Exodus chapter 32 verse 4. Aaron took the gold, (laughs) melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel! These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now you may be thinking, why in the heck are these people creating a golden calf to worship and giving the calf credit for their exodus of Egypt when it was Moses' God who literally parted the Red Sea so they could walk out? I'll tell you why they did this. Moses went up on the mountain to have a conversation with God. And the people did what most people do. Moses, pastor, you've taken way too long to talk with God. They literally said, hey, Aaron, Moses, he's been like in the secret place with God for a long time. Ain't no way it's taken that long. We're losing faith in everything. We don't believe in his God. We don't believe in him. Let's make a golden calf. And Aaron was like, okay. Moses was up on the mountain receiving instruction. And they said, it's taken way too long. People love to take things in their hands when conversations with God are taking too long as far as it depends on them. And the church has forgotten the principle of depending on God, and then we rebel against him in our own way. We say, God What you are telling us to do is taking way too long, so we're going to do this ourselves. So we create systems, and then God calls it religion. We we, we go through tough times where the country shuts down with disease, and no one knows what to do. So instead of just sticking through it, we take things in our own hands, and if that's enough... No one knows how to depend on God and walk back into what he wants. So instead of depending on conversations, we depend on consultation. And we say, let's go to the world and figure out a good business structure for the church and how we're going to get back people in and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. And no one has remembered how to just simply go to the mountain and say, God, what would you have us do? And when we go there, people get frustrated. Why is it taking so long? Because you don't know how to wait. And God says that rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. Because you don't know how to wait on my instruction. Because for some reason in the human condition, we think that if we're not producing something, then we're ineffective and we're out of step. But what if in order to produce in the next season, you have to learn how to wait in this one? 
because you need to wait on instruction for next so that when next comes, you don't have to get prepared. You have been preparing in your waiting. We're in a day when we need to learn the way of waiting. This has been on my mind, and someone said it the other day, so I felt like it was a confirmation. We always celebrate Independence Day on July 4th. I say we learn how to get dependent again. We care more about our independence and our right to choose over the dependence on Yahweh. I personally don't want to learn how to depend on anything but him. I don't want to be independent of my God. I don't want my nation to be independent of my God. So at some point, we have to embrace the idea of waiting, and I will wait as long as it takes for my God to give me the answer. Let me read this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Is this okay? Okay. Have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, some versions say it like this, those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And we think we are not in God's will if it looks the same for a while. But I would say it's how you manage your shame that denotes how dependent you are. It's kind of like when everything in the world is going one way or you're doing all the things of God and you're wondering why nothing's producing. Well, well, how come this came against me? How come I lost that? How come I'm not getting the house? How come I'm not paying off the car? How come I'm still waiting on the, the, the raise at my job? What, what is it? Why is it not happening? Why is the next thing not happening? I would venture to say God is seeing how you manage your time in waiting before he takes you out of it. Because have you building a golden calf in your waiting instead of waiting? Have you given more allegiance to other things than your God? L let me go a step further. Everyone is waiting on Jesus to return. Well, my Bible says he will return when the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout the entire earth. And I would say to you the reason that Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back is because it's not dependent on just him and it's not dependent on just the Father. The Father will get the time when the church does what it's supposed to do. How, <laughs> is that okay? How do we steward this time of waiting for him to return? I'll tell you how. Stop looking up to see the next red moon and, st and, and start saying, God, what would you have me do? Is that too much? I, I don't care if it was. <laughs> we have got to get to this place where we start saying, God, what do you want me to do right here, right now for your glory? God, in this job transition, am I stewarding it as if I'm transitioning in your name? How do you manage the waiting? 
The word weight in that passage is D-E-W. It actually means to bind together, to collect, expect, and gather. If, if you're waiting for your next thing, what are you collecting and gathering together right now in the season of waiting? It's the same word used for a waiter at a restaurant. They don't just wait on the food to get cooked. They gather and collect in expectation for the food to come. And while the food's being cooked, they should be filling up your beverages, right? Making sure you're taken care of. Making sure that everything's good at the table so that when the time the food comes, you're prepared to eat it. You ever been to a restaurant where you get the food and then the silverware? That makes me so mad. Like you're just looking at it like, mmm. But isn't that kind of what the church does? It's like, we, 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 I want to get fed. Are you coming with silverware? Or, or do, do, do you come and eat and not do what Scripture says, regurgitate it and chew it up at home? Or do you let it digest and never apply anything to your life? Is that, is that too graphic? <laughs> Waiting seasons should be coming together in expectation so that when the Lord gives your next, we've been anticipating it and we've been stewarding the current season in such a degree that we're ready and prepared for the next one. And when we don't wait on him, gathering together, collecting together, expecting the next thing, we start to build what I just call the golden idols, systems, religion. When, and, we, and we start to turn to our way instead of saying, God, what would you have me to do in your way? Does this make sense? Look at verse 4. And then the herald shouted, people of all races, nations, and languages listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar regarded the refusal to worship the gold statue treason. And, and people love to, to mix up national allegiance with acts of worship. Are you ready to say no when the time comes? Because that's part of the stewarding the waiting. Like if you're waiting on that certain thing, will you say no to one opportunity because you're expecting the other? Or have you made sure you prayed enough to know that the opportunity that comes that you may not have wanted is actually the one that God wanted for you? We pray for answers, and when they come, we have not been waiting in the right degree. We haven't been gathering together. We have not been leaning into God. We have not been having conversations with God. We don't even see if the opportunity looks like something that heaven just released in front of you. And because of that, you make decisions you are never supposed to make, and then you're going backwards in your life, and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do with it? I'll tell you what to do with it. Get back into the waiting. This must be heavy. Are you ready to wait in a prison, if you will? Are you willing to wait in an uncomfortable season or only in the comfort of the modern church? Will you wait when it doesn't prove to be advantageous to you? Will you wait on God 
if the government shuts down this meeting or give up and say, well, I'm just going to have my one-on-one time with God in my house. Well, you can embrace that just like half the Christians did during COVID, but he specifically says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. You don't get to rebel to that decree, and when you do, it's likened to witchcraft. Did you just say that about me? If you did it, yeah. The beauty of grace is that you're not damned for eternity for it. Despite your rebellion, you're still with him. That's what grace does. So that you have the opportunity to repent, change your mind, and get back into the rhythm. When life comes at the church, are we willing to learn how to wait on God? Or do we start having all these meetings about what do we do, what do we do, what do we do, and the last thing anyone did was, why don't we come together and pray? It seems so simple, right? I think that's the point. We've overcomplicated the scriptures. I don't know what to do. Have you prayed? No. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people. Kyle, can you give me some advice? Well, have you prayed? No. Okay, well, here's the advice. Go pray. Or do you believe he talks to you, or is that just a mythical thing in itself? Well, I don't know how to hear his voice. Well, his voice looks a lot like this. This is his voice on a page. You want to know what his voice looks like? The word of the Father became flesh. You know you're hearing from Jesus if it looks like, let me say it differently. You know you're hearing from God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when it looks like Jesus. So if God told you to go curse someone, that's not God. Right? People do a good job cursing themselves. You know how we curse ourselves? Rebellion. It's the same as witchcraft. If I may be so bold, I, I, I hate to talk about it all the time, but it is like one of the most talked about things in the Bible. Let's talk about the idea of tithing, okay? Before I say this, financially, this church is great, and if you don't tithe, I mean, it sucks to be you, but we're good. This is why there's empty chairs. <laughs> Think about it. In Malachi, it says when you don't give to the storehouse, you're cursed with a curse. It doesn't say he curses you. You bring that upon yourself because you walk in rebellion. So, see people already walking out of here. Look at this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, it's, it's one of our worship leaders. <laughs> That's a good word. So, so, think, so think about the cursing. You're not tithing, and your car broke down, and your job's being threatened, and you can't pay your bills, and you're like, God, come through. I told you, if you don't give into the storehouse, you're going to put a curse on yourself. Well, why won't God come through? This is going to be very, um, I don't know the word, 
You might not like, like you might you might not like this, but I'm gonna say this. You know why he can't come through? He can't. Did you say God can't do something? Yes, because in His all powerfulness and all knowing, He chooses not to. Because He says, "I've given you the authority, and I've shown you how to do it." And it's like that with any command of God, but we don't like to wait on him. We don't like to gather the things together. When we have difficulties, we don't, we don't take an inventory of our life and say, what am I actually doing? Am I expecting him to come? And does your expectation line up with your actions? It's, it's like relationships. Right? Like, if you're waiting for God to send you the husband or the wife, why are you sleeping with everyone? Because you haven't learned how to wait. Okay. Okay. <laughs> look, 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 what, look what happens in Acts 5. It's 7.30. We're going to be here until like 9 o'clock. Verse 27. They brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Remember, this, they, they were doing what God asked them to do. This is the apostles. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want, us, and you want to make us responsible for his death, which they were. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Later in this text, they kept teaching. They're in basically like the, the judgment seat, and they're like, hey, let's kill the disciples. But then a Pharisee stood up and changed their minds. And this is what he said to him, verses 38 39. Here's my advice. Leave these men alone and let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will be overthrown. But if it's from God, you ain't going to be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. Nothing in your effort will ever prevail. But if it's God, Nothing can stop it. And sometimes that requires waiting instead of leaning into your own hand, way, and logic. You know, the great thing about the mysteries of God, they don't make sense, but they work. You don't need to understand it to apply it. In fact, I will say you will understand it as you start to apply. Verse 7 in Daniel. So... At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, what's interesting here is that the literal translation reads this. As soon as they were hearing, they were falling down. When they heard the sound, they fell to the ground. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, who, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. Nebuchadnezzar was demanding their worship with a sound. And any time something does not, any time you bow to a sound other than him, that's actually in direct rebellion to the only one we should be bowing to. It, it's so real that even God himself says, 
you will know I'm back because I'll come with a trumpet call, a sound. And we love to bow at so many different forms of sounds and idols. You see, not only was Nebuchadnezzar demanding their worship, but he was even in rebellion to God, receiving glory at a sound. And when you're operating in rebellion, you tend to let the rebellion affect areas that you're even unaware of, taking away glory from God. If, if, if churches do it, churches will produce great music to move people. But should we create it to move us or glorify God? What sound are you bowing to? This will be funny and it's just a point, but I know when I hear that song that I'll be there for you, I just, I just break down. I just start doing the ugliest white boy dance you could ever see. I will react to that sound in a heartbeat. You, you know, when, when, I, when I hear like the, the, the Michael Myers sound, you know, I'm like, right? But for some reason, we don't have that immediate response sometimes with the sound of God. Like you come to church and you have to say, let the praise team get me there. Right? Or, or, or when the worship team gets weird and they start to get real quiet and they're singing songs and you're looking up at the screen and the lyrics aren't up there, this is what we start to think. We say, hurry up because uh, I don't even know what the heck they're singing. And you haven't even learned how to wait in his presence and bow at a sound, lifting him up. There's something about sound that we've lost. When we give God praise for some reason, it's hard for us to come into agreement with it. Is this talking to anyone? Like, when trials come, we bow to the wrong sound. We give the idol of our own expectation more credit than the sound of God. You know, like, I, I don't know why I keep going back to this job thing, but it's kind of like when, when you're waiting on, on a job or, or you're in a job and then you get a sound of, I'm going to have to let you go. Immediately, you bow to that sound. Instead of leaning in to God, I know you got me. And it seems small and insignificant, but if you can't give God praise and lean into him and in that small stuff, what makes you think you're ready for big stuff? Like big stuff like three Hebrew boys who are about to be thrown into a fire. Why? Because they learn simply not to bow to any other sound but God. We, we bow to false sounds. The, the sounds of... I'm not good enough. The sounds of you're not ready. All these sounds coming in, we for some reason we give them so much more credit than simply 
God, what are you saying to me? We cannot be a house that bows to anything. We have to be a house that bows to one thing. So we, we want to bow to preference. We want to bow to culture. We want to bow to systems. But we've got to bow to Yahweh. It, it's, it's even like this. We don't like to bow. The, the church in general doesn't like to bow to God in the form of a new apostolic movement. Because if we haven't seen it, it must not be of God. That's what the church thinks. But what if God wants to do something new in Savannah and he's looking for people that will simply say yes? But here's the trick. The yes is dying to your preference. Well, I'm looking for a church that suits me. But what if God doesn't want you in a church that suits you because you is all messed up? <laughs> I, I'm looking for something that's meant for me. When, when God says, but I have something in you that you haven't even seen that will be great for this new thing. Could you just trust and walk into this new thing and not try to make the new thing look like the old thing because you like the old thing when I'm trying to bring you into the new thing? No. It, we, 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 we like to say, you know, break down religion, but... Submit your own religion to him as well. It's not about your preference. It's not about the song style. If we can be real, you know what the biggest miss in the church is? We appease current culture instead of having a transgenerational mindset. It shouldn't be what can we do for the people now. It's what are we building for the next generation to walk into. Some people over there are like, yes, finally, duh, Right? And, and, and it seems like such a, a hard concept to, 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 to embrace, but that's what we do. If it don't sound like us, we don't like to go in it. If it doesn't sound like something we've seen, it must not be of God. Well, your scope and view of God must be small because he's so much bigger than you could possibly understand. Look at verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring that all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, other musical instruments, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay, you, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. I wonder what are you known for? Do people see what you bow to or who you bow to and what you won't bow to? Because the thing about these Hebrew boys is it's not exactly, I mean, they were in a high position but it's not like they were the most popular Hebrew boys in all of Babylon. The enemy was trying to expose their worship, 
Because the enemy knew that theirs was to the right and true God. And these three Hebrew boys knew that they didn't necessarily know they wouldn't be discovered for not bowing, but they knew that they could not bow to anything other than Yahweh. And here's what they did not do, which is what we tend to do. They didn't say, well, God knows my heart. God wants to see your action aligns with what your so-called heart posture is. The Holy Ghost snort. Think about it. Like, we love to use that. Well, God knows my heart so I can just deal with this. No! He knows how ingenuine it is if you didn't put action to it. Well, God knows what I believe. I just can't say that. Yes, you can. Are you willing to wait when not bowing will cost you? I just can't afford to lose. Really? Because my God says, if I refuse to bow anything other to him, then he will protect me and he will provide for me. Do you actually believe that? I wonder what your waiting, what your waiting looks like when you refuse to bow knowing the consequences of not bowing. And what you won't bow to bears more weight than most realize. Can we talk about not bowing? I'm going to read Jude, verses 4 through 8. If you've got chapters in Jude, you've got the wrong Bible. It's one chapter, Jude chapter 1, it's the only chapter. Look at verse 4 through 8. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. This is New Testament, by the way. <laughs> Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Doesn't that sound like 2022? The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. For they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Now, this is New Testament. This is grace. This is after Jesus was died and rose again. I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belong. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns who are filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. There is condemnation for those who continue to not bow. Wait a minute, I, I thought the scripture says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's Romans 8.1, you're exactly right. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But if you're not walking in Christ, if you're not walking in his word, if you are not walking in such a posture where everything about you is in him, he says there is condemnation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I, I don't have everything right. It's not about getting everything right. It's about knowing who you are and who you are to bow to. So that 
when the fire comes to burn up anything that doesn't look like him, you don't run from it, you walk into it. Let me say that again, because I, I can feel it in the room. Well, you just said there's, you got to walk in Christ and there's no condemnation for those in Christ, so what happens if I'm not in Christ in every area? Positionally, you're in Christ. And there will come a time where you're going to come against a fire in your life, a trial, a hardship, a testing. And if you know who you are in Christ, when the fire comes, don't do this. Be willing to walk in so that God's consuming fire can burn up all the stuff that is causing your mind to align with, I won't bow to that, or I will bow to that. It's embracing trials, understanding that it is going to burn up anything that's not of the true you. Let me say, is, is this, let me say it like this. Garden of Eden. Satan has a conversation with Eve. And what Satan says is, or Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, he says, hey, I know God told you not to eat this fruit, but if you eat it, you'll look like God. And what churches will teach people is that the issue with Eve is that she was trying to look like God. And what's the issue? She was already like God. I made man in my image. The lie was not that if she ate the fruit, she looked like God. The lie and deception was he wanted Eve to believe she wasn't already looking like him. So she ate of a thing that caused a separation. What the enemy will do after you get saved is try to convince you that you do not look like you're supposed to look like. I think it's a sad day when believers still say things like, I'm not worthy to do this. You obviously don't know what you look like in the eyes of the Father. Because he says you're worthy, you're righteous, you're pure, you're perfect. That's how he sees you. Do you bow to that? Or do you bow to this distorted, nasty Christian culture that has been built that says you're a piece of crap until you go to heaven. That's not who you are in Jesus. That is not who you are in the eyes of the Father. In the eyes of the Father, you have everything you need to accomplish everything he planned for you before you were even in your mother's womb. And he says, if you will learn to bow to me and wait on me and gather together in me and expect great things in me, Nothing you do can stop my kingdom in you. Nothing that was done to you can stop it. How you were raised can't stop it. Nothing. Your, the culture you live in cannot stop it. 
Oh, it's it's getting, this day is horrible. All the the sexual morality and the identity issues. If the church would deal with their identity issue first, maybe it would pour out into theirs. If I can be real, people who don't believe in Jesus, you know why they won't, a lot of them won't come to church? Because they say, well, you say you got power, but I don't see any power. Why not dare to walk in a new place where they see true ecclesia walking under the authority of God? Let's get, let's get real specific. Let's, let, let's really talk about what God wants to do. Like he wants us to get to a place where we actually do believe we can manipulate the weather. Jesus told them. Why y'all freaking out? Storm, be still. But you can't even decree something simple of your life like, Lord, protect my household. Or or, or I still hear these conversations of, well, 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 there's medicine to, to heal it. Yeah, but there's also the power of God. Like, why don't you believe in that just as much as you believe in the medicine? I'm not coming against medicine. I, I talk about it all the time at the, end, at the end of Acts when Paul got bitten by the, the, the snake and then he went into the island and they, they healed all the people. There was two words for healing. There was supernatural and then there was a medical healing. You know why? It was Paul and Luke. Luke was a physician. There's medical and there's supernatural. But why is it that our first go-to is always the medical? Because we really don't believe it's actually possible. Some of us do. Like, what, let's, let's bow down to the identity God has for us. Like, there's power in your words even if you don't believe in the power of your words. Is this, is this too elementary? I mean, like, what, 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 let's get in the identity of I am a son of God. I'm made in his image. I'm a daughter of God. I'm made in his image. What does that mean? Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than recorded in this word. Greater works than I did on the earth. Well, where the heck are the greater works? Let's talk about it. Let's get real. Let's get really real about it. We'll sing songs that everyone wants to sing, and I think we're going to sing it, so please don't think I'm coming against the song. I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen metal plates dissolve. Don't you tell me he can't do it. I've seen a lot of that. What about the next stuff like, I saw hurricanes stop. I saw presidents replaced. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Hey, what about those things that we, we oh, well, we're, we're going to pray to it and it's going to happen. But what if we actually started to believe it? I'm getting really passionate about this. I'm spitting all over the place. I, I'm talking about like getting back to Eden. And Eden that said they were of one mind. That means they didn't wrestle with themselves with left side and right side. They didn't wrestle with their identity. They knew who they were. God, what do you want us to name this animal? And they didn't have that conversation. God told them to name it, and they didn't have to have any more 
conversation with God because they were already in the image of him. So whatever they named it was in line with what he wanted. What if we got, got to a place of waiting where we never doubted what we did because we were in the image of him as we wait? Okay. Verse 13. This sounds like me, but then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage <laughs> and, and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made with when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? You see, it's an even greater test. Because it's one thing to stick to what you stand in when you're confronted. But, but it's another when it gets real in front of your face with the promise of a threat. Like, are you going to wait when there's an actual threat imposing? imposing? How real is God to you will be found in the promise of a threat. So it's getting real for them. And then look what happens in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I love that. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I feel sarcasm in that to some degree. It could be honor, but I don't know. I think it's sarcasm. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. You know what true waiting looks like? No need to defend yourself. Because you're gathered together so much in the promises of God that you don't have to prove your point. You know how much I've been tempted to respond to Facebook posts this week? Literally, I had to, like, speak, no, Kyle, because if you're waiting on God, do you value submission to God as well? They knew God's power so much that they knew, they knew that they needed to submit to what was right, even if God did not do what they expected or hoped God would do. Even if they didn't see God coming through, they were still going to submit to it. They, they didn't think, what if? They just said, yes. We're leaning into you, God. Why get in an argument defending a point to what the Bible calls people who are ignorant? Ignorance does not mean they're unintelligent or they're dumb. When the Bible talks of their ignorance, it's simply this. They don't know me, so how would they know my ways? And you're not helping by showing them a way that doesn't look like me. We got to evangelize. Not that type. Let them see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, kindness, self-control. Submission to God is never subjective. It's always absolute. Even Jesus, when he was facing arrest and death, in Matthew 26, 39, he says, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, 
let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Does your waiting look like a nevertheless your will, not mine? It can't be subjective. It can't be it's getting too hard, so it must not be of God. You sure? Because Jesus was begging, please don't make me go through this crucifixion stuff. Nevertheless, I'll go through it. Let's not embrace this false teaching of God won't bring hard things your way. Fire is not pleasant. Trial is not pleasant. So is your submission in your waiting absolute, even when it looks like something that may not be of God? I'm going to submit to him no matter what. No matter what the threat is, no matter what the possible outcome is, I am submitting. First John 2.15 simply says it like this. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You have to ask yourself, who do you love? Based off of what people see. Because if you look like the world, there's a big absence of the love of the Father. You can't look like both. That's called mixture. It's weak. He says, I have not called you to look like that. His fire is a consuming fire. And I believe that my God will make any fire work for my good. He made the fire of crucifixion work for our good. You know what the result of crucifixion was? Life. These Hebrew boys, it was death by fire. What was the result? Look at verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. That's, that's mad. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Hmm. Verse 20. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Notice, not just any soldiers, but the strongest soldiers. Here again, will you wait when the best strategies of the devil come into your house? So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Everything was done to make sure that these boys did not survive. And in the way of waiting, there is strength when you learn the power of waiting together. Because they didn't go into the fire alone. There were three of them. It's easier to stand in fire when you're held accountable by others who are willing to go into it with you. And if you surround yourself in relationships with people who will leave you when fire comes, get some new ones. Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his admirers, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. Now, we know who the fourth one was. 
right? Shout his name. Jesus. Here's something interesting about the passage. About the, the passage. In the Hebrew translation in verse 24, it reads like this. Let me read. Can you put verse 24 up again? It says, suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men? This is how it reads in the original Hebrew translation. Nebuchadnezzar's attention turned to the furnace when he heard the men singing praises. Why did he even look to the furnace? Because he heated it seven times hotter to make sure they would die. He had no reason to look. He heard a sound. Remember the First Thessalonians scripture? Why, why do we look to Jesus? Because we'll hear a sound. What if the reason why Savannah isn't looking to the church? Because they're not hearing a sound. He jumped up in amazement because the sound of praise caused him to give attention to the, fur, to the furnace. Waiting and submissing, uh, being submissive to God go hand in hand with do you complain or do you praise? What is the sound you make in the middle of the fire? Why did God do this? Wrong sound. Why did God let this happen to me? No, praise God that I'm in this fire and it's trying to harm me, but I'm not being burned. I'm not being affected. I'm standing strong and I'm not alone. We have got to make sure that the sound coming out of us in the midst of adversity is a I'm waiting on God kind of sound. Because here's the thing, there is nothing in the scripture that says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that there was a number four in the, in the furnace. It says King Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth. And a lot of times when trial comes, the first thing we think of is, where is God? He's right there with you. And I would, I would, I would say this, the reason you're not aware is because you can't even get the sound right. Where is God? Not, thank you, Lord. They were praising in the hottest flames ever. And it caused the enemy to draw his attention. And notice that in this fire, as they were praising God, it says that they were unbound and walking when they were, brown, when they were bound up by the strongest soldiers the king had. Because when you stand in God through trial, that fire will get rid of anything that was never intended to be a part of your true identity. Why embrace trial? So it can burn up anything I don't need to get into next. In the waiting, you will be purged of anything that you don't need in order to move forward. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Can I just, the enemy, his faith in what could and couldn't be done got shifted. He called out to three men that he threw into a fire to walk out the fire. Because he was no longer regarding the situation based off of his logic. He saw God start to move. Come out. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing wasn't scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Hmm. He noticed that they served the true God and noticed they didn't even smell like fire. You know why? Because in true deliverance, nothing will stay attached to you. And sometimes your deliverance will come by way of waiting, meaning this. I will stand in who I know I am rather than what I have come to know I am. Oh, this is going to be tough, but if you've been delivered from a bad childhood, stop, stop blaming your current actions on what mom or dad did. Because if you've been delivered from it, there is nothing bound to you anymore. And you shouldn't look like it, and you shouldn't smell like it. You shouldn't even have a hint that you went through it. Well, you don't know what I went through, but I know what Jesus went through to get you out of that. He says, I don't just want to rescue you. I want to make sure you don't even have a hint of the smell on you. I want to change the way you think. I want to change the way you praise. I want to change the way you submit to, 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 to this God because I've seen how you submit to all these false gods. He says, I want to change everything. And he actually has a plan in what he wants to change you into. What is it? The, the you that he knew before you entered into the earth. Waiting is looking like this. I know who I am despite what I brought up to be, and I will make every decision from this moment based off of a new life in Christ, not an old life in old man. And what's interesting in this whole passage that I've always wondered about and what sometimes people never bring up, you know there's not one time in this whole scenario Daniel is mentioned or Daniel is there. It begs the question, Will you stand and wait even, the, even in the absence of a great leader? Because the only great leader that should, we should be waiting on is him. It's not the job of a pastor for you to decide your life's ambitions and moves based off of me. My job is to help you and grow you to hear his voice for you don't need me. And, and that's, we don't like to say that in church because, well, you know, what, what, what's the point of the pastor? Yes, there's caring for needs. There's all those things. But you should not get to a place where you're totally dependent on anyone but him. But that's what this current church culture is all about. How's your Christian walk? I have the best pastor. Why are you defining your Christian walk based off of the man? I would even say this, why are you choosing churches based off of how good the pastor is? What if you're called to be a part of a body that, quite frankly, just isn't that great? Now, I'm not saying that y'all aren't. Y'all are supposed to be here. But y'all have heard it. Why do you go to that church? I, 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 I need the word. Well, you've got the word. What you really need is someone to help you learn how to understand it so that you don't longer need anything outside of your relationship with him that's what you truly need it's called fathers and sons 
Someone said to me this week, how old are you, Kyle? I said, I'm 36. And they said, hmm, a father who's half my age. Because it's about the function. Teaching you how to walk without me. That's That's the point of the body of Christ. Daniel did a great job with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't need Daniel to pray over them. They didn't need Daniel to give them a word. They knew how to wait on God. Never compromising. Standing in the fire. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 28, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command, and they were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Verse 29, therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Let me just close by pointing this out. In their waiting, they got promoted. The king said, you're not bound to my idol. I'm going to execute you. And they didn't say, please don't. We'll do anything. God knows our hearts. We'll do anything. We'll, God, we'll. Now, you know what they said? Your majesty, with all due respect, we ain't listening to a word you said. We're leaning into our God. And then a few hours later, the guy who ordered their execution said, promotion. They were promoted to a higher position because they simply did one seemingly small thing. They didn't bow to anything other than Yahweh. Our God has given us so many tools and keys of the kingdom. I said it earlier in pre-service prayer, but I'll say it again just to close this out. God has given you so much favor. I heard this Thursday night. It's so powerful. God has given you, do you believe God's given you favor? Okay. The key is, how do you spend it? I've got favor. What are you going to do with it? God's given me favor. Okay, awesome. God's blessed me. Awesome. What will you do with the blessing? What will you do with the favor? Because if I have favor, then I'm going to do something seemingly stupid and stand on the steps of a capital and decree. If I have favor... When there's something coming against me in my life, I'm going to lean into the truth that I am blessed, I am highly favored, I'm a child of God, and nothing is going to move me. I'm not going to let it shake my faith. I'm not going to, make, I'm not going to let it make me go backwards. I'm standing in the fire. God, thank you for the adversity coming against me. God, thank you for the men and women you put in my life. God, thank you for the provision that's on the way that I can't see. God, thank you for the small cloud I see in the distance. God, thank you way of waiting he says I'm going to provide everything you need 
and those that wait on me, I will renew their strength in the waiting. They will soar. Will. I'm not soaring now, but the promise is you will. How will you steward the waiting until then? He's a powerful, good, great God. Wait on the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight?